Welcome to Spooky Cookies, a horror movie podcast where we sit down with a plate of cookies and nerd out about horror movies. I'm Chris, a depressed gamer foodie. And I'm Kirby, a fat librarian bitch. (laughs) Together, we're a married couple based in Philly with a shared love of cookies, horror, and each other. Whom we call Cookie. Join us as we discuss one movie each week. Our first season centers around feminist horror, which we're very excited about. So sit back, relax, and enjoy some spooky cookies. Welcome to this week's episode of Spooky Cookies. Welcome back, everyone. Um, We're trying a different recording setup today because we were trying to not let the cats knock over everything, including wires and stuff, as they did last time, which led to some... They knocked over my heart. (laughs) Led to some uh, technical difficulties, but um, it all got straightened out. Um, This week, we watched Audition. Yeah, that we did. It's probably... Feels like one of the deepest ones we've watched so far. I think so. I um, think so. A lot yeah. of symbolism that I, I haven't quite grasped yet, but um, yeah, it was a very interesting one. So Audition is a J-horror, Japanese horror. Um, this is going to be the first uh, foreign film on our list. Well, unless you count American Mary, which was Canadian, but <laughs> is Canada really foreign? <laughs> yeah, I've, I've heard that if you die in Canada, you die in real life. So I, I guess it's not too foreign. Yeah. Um, so Audition, like I said, it was from 1999. Uh, it was directed by Takashi Miike. The screenplay was by uh, Daisuke Tengen. And it was based on a novel by Ryu Murakami. And it was starring Ryo Ishibashi and Ihe Shina. I had to look up the pronunciation oh, yeah. for a lot of those. <laughs> But I figure if I could look up how to pronounce Amanda Seyfried's name, then I can look up Japanese pronunciations. Exactly. So uh, I guess one of the interesting things, uh, since we're kind of talking about that part, is that this was adapted from a novel that was written in 1997. Mm -hmm. So this movie being uh, created in 1999 was a really quick turnaround. So um, Mm -hmm. I would I would think that the producer director uh, must have had a a very strong fondness for the book to have you know absorbed it and and done the uh, the screenplay and stuff honestly like i it. have noticed that a lot with japanese horror films and especially mm-hmm. or like asian horror films in general that the turnaround from book to movie is often much faster than in america mm, okay like sometimes an american movie won't be that's based on a book won't come out until like 20 years later sometimes yeah it feels like it what cookies are we eating today christopher we are eating fingers today <laughs> so we've got some uh, lady fingers and some Vienna fingers because okay, so, so it's all all about fingers today. Um, these groceries were delivered, and I did not know if the shopper would know how to find lady fingers. So I also added the Vienna. It was labeled as lady finger cookies in the app, but it's actually Vienna finger fingers the keyboard. Yeah, me. I got the sausage fingers, but now we got the Vienna fingers. You know, <laughs> we just combine them and get the Vienna sausage fingers. And um, we got lady fingers because there is a really gross part of the movie where. You see a lady's fingers get cut off. Well, you see them cut off afterwards. Mm-hmm. So, Chris, what did you think of Audition? This was your first time watching it. It was my third time watching it. Hmm. I often felt I didn't know where it was going, but I, w- I was always left with sort of an uneasiness 
around okay. all the male characters. Okay. And I, I think that that was well done and intentional. Um, it was a very interesting movie. Um, it definitely felt deeper than the last one yeah. they did. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I liked it a lot. Um, I think that if part of the mm, message was a sort of like gory kind of like, um, I don't want to say feast for the eyes, but like repulsion. If mm-hmm. it had aimed for repulsion, they, it had moments. Um, yeah. But I think if they had wanted to, they probably could have done it a little stronger with that. And, you um, think they could have gone grosser or more gory? Yeah, or this was or, in 1999, though. True. Like, I'm not that not that there haven't been gory movies, but I'm just saying that, like, I think that I think in our culture, we often are kind of acclimated to really yes, gory movies, yeah. and this felt like the the gore was very intentional. Mm-hmm. And and meant to feel upsetting when it happened, not gratuitous, right? Well, that that's often though a sort of marker of like Asian horror though is they tend to not be as gory as American horror films, mm-hmm. but when they are gory, it's a lot more impactful. Like you don't actually do you even see his? So this is spoilers. Oh, there's gonna be spoilers during this. Sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm trying to say that in the beginning of each one. I, I, some, I forgot during one, and I felt really bad afterwards that I didn't say it. Um, uh, there was where she cuts off his foot at the end. Mm-hmm. You never see it up close. You never do. But it felt as gory as if you had seen it because of his response and the way he's writhing. And It felt even more impactful because you, it was almost from the point of view of having it done to you. Yeah, yeah. And they did directly do that as well. Mm-hmm. But I, I think that what they did was very effective with it. Yeah. Um, so, Audition is a very unusual horror movie. It, not just because it's like a Japanese horror, because often Japanese horror tends to follow sort of the same, well, it's its own sort of um, set of tropes the same way American horror does. Sure. But Audition is very, a very unusual movie. My favorite way to show it to people, though, is to not tell them it's a horror movie. Yeah. It, under that context, you don't know it's a horror movie until way later. What was it? Mm, it's 40, 45, 45 minutes. minutes into a two-hour movie that anything even creepy happens. Yeah. And It I, starts off kind of sad. Like, okay. It starts uh, out seeming like it's going to be a drama with a little bit of romance. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, it, it starts out with the uh, main character um, experiencing his, his wife dying and uh, their son bringing, like, a, a little diorama of, like, get well and, like, handcrafted kid stuff, you know, like, really heartfelt. And it's, like, get well soon. And the kid um, shows up into the, the hospital room right as she's passed. Right. And, you know, the, the dad looks really res- distraught and he's on his knees next door. Mm-hmm. And he just jumps ahead seven years after that. Um, and you, you you feel like it's going to be the father's journey to kind of find himself again after yeah. that much loss mm-hmm. um, and to maybe find love again afterwards. And, you know, he, he, he glances at his... Um, photograph of his wife a lot and so it really feels like it's going to be kind of a, a sad melancholy sort of like beginning his, his to journey a drama to new love and and, and you know more more connection between the dad and the son as as time goes on and 
Well, I mean, it, it takes you for some uh, unexpected surprises. Yeah. Yeah, because she turns out to be a murderer. Yep. <laughs> um, but, uh, I mean, the premise of, similar to um, Jennifer's body, the premise to audition is, is very easy and simple to explain. Um, it's about, as Chris said, a widower uh, decides that he wants to remarry. So he works for a movie company um, and they decide to set up fake auditions for a role that essentially doesn't exist because they say that technically the movie is real, but we know that the financing is going to fall through. Mm -hmm. So they set up auditions for an actress to meet his qualifications for the kind of wife that he wants, which honestly, honestly, does that not sound like a setup to like a a harem anime or something like, right. You know, um, so, it, it sounds like the setup of what, what could be a romantic comedy, yeah. actually. And he meets this girl that he is immediately smitten with and is, like, so in love with her and, um, like, love at first sight. <laughs> One of the lady fingers fell apart as he was trying to pull it out. So. Oh, I cut my fingers off. No. Um, and very slowly through the film, you realize that something's wrong with this woman and at the end she gets jealous because she realizes that he still loves his late wife and that he loves his son. And she's like, you were supposed to only love me. And so she tries to cut his feet off. And there's like a iconic scene of her turning to the camera with a syringe and her having the piano wire that she cuts off her Mm -hmm. feet with and blah, 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 blah. So, but watching audition is a much, um, it's much more of a thrill ride than just explaining Cause like I said, the the premise of the movie and explaining the plot, very simple. Yeah. Watching it is a completely different experience, especially, yep. like I said, I love showing audition to people and not telling them what's going to happen. And um, and I told Chris, I was like, even he he knows it's a horror film because that's what we sit down every week to watch is a yep. horror film. And I was like, I kind of wish that you didn't even know that <laughs> because at the beginning he was trying to guess like, oh, they're going to be a killer or, oh, this person's going to die and come back and haunt him or something. <laughs> so it was kind of nice that you had... You knew it was a horror movie, but you had no idea where the horror was going to come from. And my absolute favorite part of Audition... Now, I also remember reading somewhere, um, somebody said, everybody that's seen Audition only remembers probably about 10 minutes of the movie, which is the ending. Hmm. Like, (laughs) remembers vividly anyway. Yeah. Because it's the, the, the horror scene or whatever. One final, like, really bloody horror scene. But one of my absolute favorite scenes in Audition is you know they've been going on these dates and it's cute and she's so like demure and sweet and she keeps telling him how she's never had anybody that she's been close with before she's never had anybody she can talk to and he's the one that listens right and he says he's gonna call her and his his buddy at the movie company says don't call her back immediately because you know that'll show that you're desperate or something blah 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 blah. and so we see him kind of going through his days and thinking about calling her and then not and anyway the scene that i remember the first time i watched it it just made my heart just drop it like in a horror sense you know not like in a sad sense yeah where you see that you see her at home and she's just sitting in the floor by the phone in a tiny room with no furniture and from the sort of i I can't explain it but it's like the position of her neck looks sore like she's been sitting there. Yeah, it looks like her spine's like protruding from her back. It, it's it's like she has not gotten a drink of water, hasn't eaten. She has just and sat there near this phone, and her whole body is just slumped into this position. Just watching, just she's just sitting there, 
staring at the phone. And um, it's just like, I don't know. It's just (laughs) when you watch audition and don't realize it's a horror movie, that is such a like gut punch to be like, Oh my God, she's crazy. Yeah. Like, Oh my God. And um, when afterwards, after we watched the movie, uh, Chris and I were talking about it and I, I, I likened it to, this is a spoiler for a video game and I'm sorry, but um, or a visual novel, I guess. One of my f- absolute favorite visual novels is Doki Doki Literature Club. Mm-hmm. And the reason I love that visual novel slash game is because the whole setup is like <laughs> hours, hours, hours long of you thinking that you're playing like this cute romantic game. And then you find out that it's a horror game. Yeah. When I'm not going to say what happens, but you realize like halfway into it, you're like, oh, my God. Look up, um, if anybody's interested and you don't mind spoilers, look up uh, an animated Game Grumps, um, <laughs> Doki Doki Literature Club. There is the video of Dan from the Game Grumps realizing that it's a horror game. We quote that to each other all the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and when we were watching Audition. <laughs> it was like, oh my, how does he say it? Where he's like, oh my God, is this a horror game? Mm-hmm. I don't know, Dan. I don't know, Dan. Is um, it? I I love any kind of media that can pull off a genre switch. Yeah. Because if you don't know that it's horror and it like pulls the rug out from under you successfully and just makes your heart just drop where you're like, you're like upset. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Cause you're like this promise that I thought we were entering into has now been broken. Yeah. You know? Um, and I think, I mean, unfortunately, everybody knows at this point that Audition is a horror movie because it's, like, well-known for, like, the fucked-up ending or whatever. Yeah. But, um... Yeah, the way she says... Uh, oh, my God. Like, deeper, 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 deeper. deeper. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, because she stabs needles into him. Mm-hmm. Um, Surprised she didn't set his pants on fire. Cross my heart, hope to die. Push a needle into my eye. Yeah. Oh. Um, so I was eating a ladyfinger. Let's see. I did pull up some articles. Like I said, I've said in every podcast, I am a librarian. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to nerd out. Um, so one of the articles that I read is called Desublinating Monstrous Desire, The Horror of Gender in New Extremist Cinema uh, by Lisa Colthard and Chelsea Burks. So this article lumps audition. This article is not actually primarily about audition, but it's about a genre called new extremism in mm-hmm. horror. The thing is, it's not even that new, <laughs> but um, it's, it's a very like specific sort of slice of the pie of like, you know, horror. but it does lump audition in with this genre. Sure. And um, it says new extremism. And th- I think this is what you were talking about, about um, there's definitely a lot of symbolism in this. Yeah. Um, so it says new extremism self-reflexively engages with its own tropes and reveals them to be masking an underlying terror far more difficult to pin down an indeterminable sex indeterminable sexual excess that refuses to be repressed unlike conventional splatter and slasher films the this is the films we've discussed um don't have a clear-cut correlation of sex with violence such as those that have sex get murdered those that do not survive or the killer will place a sex with murder um, so it says these kinds of movies undermine the very tropes of sex and violence and horror. Okay. So just that it's, it's, um, 
I think the reason why it basically categorizes new extremism is like a lot of like sort of extreme horror films where people are like, oh, this is like the bloodiest movie ever, and it's like from the nineteen seventies, yeah. and it's like unhinged. Or whatever. Yeah, yeah, right. Just gratuitous. Just, that's what I think this article kind of says. Quote extremism is yeah. just regular old like slash and gore. Is that there's always a weird like sexual element to it? Like the guy is always like a rapist on the side or something. Yeah. Or but the new extremists because they often deal with like gender politics or feminism as this season is about um it has to replace the sex with something else and so you're just left feeling really unsettled but like you can't really pinpoint why and you can't really point to like oh i'm uncomfortable because sex yeah because it's like a a deeper thing like uh, like you said it's hard to put into words what that thing is like why you feel uncomfortable yeah okay um, <clears throat> yeah, I think going back to kind of the, the gender politics of, of, uh, the new extremism, um, you know, of course our, our topic for this season is, um, feminist, feminist horror, horror, right? Yeah. Um, so I, I think that this movie, um, where the, the feminism comes into play is it, initially you, 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 you get the sense that, you know, the, the mother, the, the wife dying um, is just kind of the the catalyst to what happens in the movie, and in a way that's sort of a it, it throws the concept into the face of the viewer of sort of the the concept of fridging females, right? Okay. Um, where the the death of a female acts as like the catalyst to the the to, hero's journey to make him a better right? man. Yeah. And so you're led to believe in the beginning of this movie, and it doesn't do it in a very like hard handed way. It just feels very natural that. Um, well, because you know, we're he so would... used to that happening exactly. in movies. Yeah. And so it kind of subverts that trope and makes you rethink, like, okay, but what, what purpose did it serve to kill her off right away? Um, it didn't, like, better the characters or right. anything like that. But you see him, like, successful and the son's doing okay. But they, they've kind of succeeded um, without the, the, the positive influence of feminine presence. Um, and so I think that that's kind of what, what you're meant to get out of the beginning of the movie is that there's sort of this this seven year gap um, where there's not a strong female presence or or that that kind of like love that kind of support and so the 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 masculine kind of develops during that time in isolation and you see what it ends up becoming where the husband um, holds an audition a fake audition mm-hmm. to basically basically he creates a, a, a you know a forcible tinder thing yeah and so um yeah go ahead oh sorry i raised my hand like i was in school because um there's actually a really interesting um sort of side note on this that i i didn't pick up on whenever i was watching it but i was reading like um different articles this is not one that i pulled up but um it's it's interesting to me the difference in culture and how there are certain things that can go over our heads because to us it's not a big deal Mm -hmm. um but it said that at the beginning uh the way the son sort of orders around the father like says like oh by the way it's your turn to do dishes because i I do remember thinking like it's weird that they made a deal like um, a point of pointing that out that the son tells him to do the dishes and then it shows him doing the dishes right oh okay and the son saying like um oh by the way i have a friend over you know or whatever and not yeah didn't ask the permission so apparently that would have been like really weird in japanese culture like for a traditional japanese family 
for the son to undermine the father all the time. Yeah. Okay. And so that was supposed to show that they have like a broken family where the dynamics are messed up. Okay. Yeah. I guess that, 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 that would, um, act as a good precursor to realizing there's something not quite right here. Right. And then, and then you, you know, experience like the whole like masculinity and isolation with the, the, uh, work that they do at the production company, Mm -hmm. um, where he likens like picking out a woman, like picking out a car. Yes. Um, and (laughs) there, there were, there were some other elements too, where the, the men in the movie did not treat women like people. Um, more, more a like, lot. Yeah. more, more like objects or things to interact with, if that makes sense. So, um, as an example, um, the son had his girlfriend over and, um, the, the father just approved that she looked good, that she was pretty. Right. Um, I remember this, but yeah. she, she had mentioned like, oh, actually I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm studying biology. Like that's what she was right. interested in. And it was like, nobody paid attention. They just completely dismissed it. And even beyond that, um, a, a major thing in the movie is when he's, um, uh, you know, dating the person he's picked from the auditions. Um, you, you kind of, there's this like odd kind of disjointed flashbacks, um, near the end of the movie where you can't tell what was reality and what wasn't. And you, you recall from the main character's sort of like narrative, um, I that uh, these dates with with the the woman that he was interested in um, she seemed very like demure very quiet very very much like I'm also, just glad you're here and also I didn't really you. offer up necessarily that much personal information yeah yeah like she about seemed her parents, like really she, she seemed, said like so so you know oh like, they're fine yeah and and seemed really closed off but then um, during kind of the the him being drugged and, and tortured. Um, you start to see maybe a different side of it where she did open up about a lot of the horrible things that happened to she her. She had an awful traumatic childhood. Yeah. And he, his reaction seems very much in one ear and out the other. Mm-hmm. And you got the impression that he heard what he wanted to hear and only interacted in the ways that he wanted, like it, only in the ways that he would accept her. Mm-hmm. Because and 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 it shows the sort of like quote unquote love is blind, mm-hmm. but it also makes the the viewer rethink. Okay, if love is blind, then is that love really love, or is that just somebody taking what they want? Like, are I mean, are you quote overlooking her flaws, or are you literally not listening to her? Yeah, exactly. Um, I did read a theory online. <clears throat> Unfortunately, this is not true because the. <laughs> <laughs> the book that it's based on is a lot more clear that it's because one thing you know we talked about is the weird flashbacks in the last like I want to say fourth of the movie mm-hmm. made it very hard to tell like what was clearly like happening and not happening right because there were some things that were flashbacks but they were flashbacks of Asami that's the name of the girl mm-hmm. um, Asami's life that uh, the main character could not have been there for Right. Like he couldn't, and the whole movie is from his perspective. Well, I guess we do have cuts to her apartment. So right. I guess it's not completely from his perspective. Um, and it is meant to be kind of surrealist because apparently the book is a little bit surrealist too. Which I'm kind of like, all right, I'm here for that ride. But anyway, there was a theory online that Asami is not evil and that he just like invents this in his head. Okay. And. They said it's it's a very, very long theory. It's on, like, Reddit or something. Basically, it's that 
um, we never see the true Asami. We see, um, and like one of the sort of uh, the evidence they have to support this, like I read the whole thing and I was like, honestly, it was a really well written, like this would have been a really good English paper, like because it supports it with evidence from the movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The only thing that it missed is that the movie, there's right, the book does confirm <laughs> that she's evil, you know, or whatever, that, that she's a murderer. Um, so when, she, yeah, what's up? Oh, I was going to say uh, on the topic of kind of the, the, the almost like good versus evil a little bit is throughout like, what is it? Three quarters of the movie, um, Asami is wearing all white. Like yes. every outfit is white. Her or presence, white. her presence is very soft and like, um, submissive. Yes. Like basically the way that the, what he wanted from a woman, mm-hmm. right? And the only time we see, like, she'll do kind of a, a fake smile here and there, like a, a like a, a laugh with her head kind of down and like a very forced smile. Mm-hmm. And the only time you see her happy is towards the end when she's wearing colors now and they're black doing some murders. <laughs> they're they're actually it's a apron and gloves, very reminiscent of um, American Mary. Yeah, well, I guess really American was. Mary would have been reminiscent of. Audition because audition came out first. Yeah, but yeah, where she's moving around towards the end, and she's like smiling and confident, and even moving. She talks different. She's like she's like giddy about it, she and she's like very com- self assured too. She looks in the even in the face like a completely different person. Yeah, because she holds her face different. Yeah. But anyway, the theory that I read about said that um, sorry, I'm munching on cookie. This is part of the podcast. This is part of it. You got to deal with it. Um. He has already decided before he meets her that he's in love with her. And he yeah. already has this perfect idea of her. Yeah, he, like, read her story, and it was almost like he filled in the narrative with what he wanted. Right. So when he starts asking her questions in the audition, you don't really see her. Mm-hmm. You see him asking it. So he's not really looking at her. He already thinks he knows her. So they said that they're, that's the first face is the version of her that he loves. And then the second face is when he starts to get to know her. and But she starts telling him things like, I had a really bad childhood. And, you know, I was... Um, by the way, some of the uh, things I read about this confirm that it, she was molested by the piano teacher. We thought that because it was very, like... It was pretty suggestive of that, yes. Because the way he opens her legs and stuff Mm -hmm. like it doesn't actually show anything but yeah no it was it it was incredibly symbolic it's uncomfortable enough that you're like "Mm." so um when he realizes that she has gone through these bad things there's this patriarchal part of him that can't reconcile that she's had bad things happen to her or she's a perfect virgin yeah and so to him he's like torn which is why he invents the first version of the story, which is just like, oh, yeah, I don't really talk to my parents. Like, they live in Tokyo, like, or whatever. And then there's the other version of the story, which is the real version, which is her saying, like, my parents were, like, on drugs. They had to put me in foster care. I was, like, beaten and molested constantly. Like, she doesn't say that that bluntly, obviously. but. Right. Um, and then the third version is the version that's like not real which is the hallucination according to the theory the hallucination version which is that that 
he completely like makes up that well she she must be this ex- basically it was saying that he can't reconcile that somebody can be can be a good person and just have bad things ha- have been done to them and he's like she must be evil because bad things wouldn't have happened to her if she wasn't evil so he like invents this thing in his head that she's this murderer or whatever okay so and that's their theory that's their theory but it's it's again it's, it's not a true theory because right. the book disproves it but i found it really um a lot of their points really fascinating about the idea that he can't reconcile between because i think that even now not that this movie is that old but um i mean it's over 20 years old but a lot of men in every culture I'm trying to choose my words carefully think of women or think of anybody really that have had bad things happen to them especially sexually they view that person as damaged goods whether or not it was that they consented or it was their that they had any part of it or any power over it and um I just thought that was a really good point that it's like to him, he's like, she can't be, she can't be good if bad things happen to her. Yeah. Yeah, I guess it's this this weird mentality where people don't understand that bad things can happen to good Good people people, too. Um, And and maybe it's also this sort of like individualistic, individualistic quest where it's like, bad things won't happen to you if you just always do good things. Um, and it's just really detached from reality, which makes makes sense in the context of this film that a lot of it exists in this sort of surreal space that doesn't feel like it's quite in tune with reality. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that would make sense if, if his view of reality is kind of skewed and, and you know, altered to, to think that, you know, only virginal women are worthy and to not be able to recognize that there's this kind of gray area too. Right. Um, there was also this, um, another article that I found, um, this is touching a little bit on it, but it, it went way deeper into not just Japanese culture, but a little bit of the history of what was going on at the time that gives a little bit more insight. And this article is called, uh, transference of trauma in body genres, wronged women and damaged childhoods in Ringu and Audition by Yuna Lee. And this article talks about, so do you remember towards the beginning of the movie when they're the main character and his friend are sitting in the bar and they mentioned briefly the recession? They did. Yeah. And that was also when they said Japan is finished. Japan is all lonely. Right. And all that, right. Right. Yes. Okay. So there was a really bad recession in Japan in the 90s. Okay. And it said there was a lot of obvious anxiety and things. I mean, same as in the US, a lot of anxiety caused by this recession. Excuse me. Um, and something interesting that this, this article points out is, uh, and I'm going to paraphrase this because the section that discusses this is kind of long, so I'm going to paraphrase a little bit. But it basically says the film depicts the main characters having a stable job at a company where he has a position of power and is well-paid. He lives in a wealthy district in Tokyo. But in con- in contrast to him, all the female characters that we see um, have secret sexual relationships and are socially and economically marginalized. They have to take jobs where they're submissive to men 
and seemingly accept their economically lower positions in a patriarchal society, such as the uh, employee that's lower than him that we find out. We were wondering why she was so, like, obsessed with him. Yeah, it seems like she was trying to, like, make him jealous and right. like, was like, I'm getting married. And he's like, oh, right. good, good for you. And She's like, just thought you should know. You find out that he slept with her and then just never made, I don't want to say made good on a promise, but, like, there is sort of this unsaid thing sometimes where it's like, if you have sex with somebody that you think there's going to be something more, it was clear she thought there was going to be something more and mm-hmm. then there wasn't. He just used her for sex. Yep. Um, so this article continues on and says, um, uh, the film depicts repressed female characters who are less privileged, they are undereducated, have lower status jobs or no job and are trapped and traumatized from being left behind by the economic abundance of modern capitalist society. It reflects the social reality that the recession led to even greater inequality between Japanese men and women, both in terms of their working conditions and their household situations. And then later on, the article says, so because of the sort of twist of her being like this evil murderer and something, it says um, the film later discloses that there is a disjunction between the society's idealized vision for a wife-to-be, which was his version of a Sami in his head um, and what the patriarchal capitalist society has generated through its long-standing repression of women. So what it's basically saying is the patriarchy has created a society where women cannot become the type of women that men want, that they say they want. Yeah. So he wants this like, because you were at the beginning, he was like, I wanted to be like classically trained in something or to be accomplished but like not too accomplished. Yeah, like he he mentioned he didn't want somebody who would actually take the lead starring role because that'd be someone that wouldn't need him or something right. like that. And and so it shows this it yeah, it, it exemplifies that inequality, a strong, self-assured woman who's confident and good at what she does, it would not be right for him because he wouldn't be able to be over <clears throat> her. Right. And but it's kind of like the type of woman you want does not exist in society because society is not set up. Cause like if you said like, I want like, let's say like maybe he wanted like a classically trained ballerina, which is what she was. Um, but he's like, but I don't want her to be, you know, too good at what she does, but it's like, well, okay. Then you want somebody who basically does it for a hobby, but how can she afford to do that? Yeah. You have not created a society where she as an artist can support herself without, being like famous or being ambitious yeah like um and i guess something that um sort of also echoes this is and that you leaned over and said this like immediately when it happened where he asked asami out on a date after you know obviously he's somebody that works for the movie company and she's an auditioner and you were like there's a huge power imbalance here yeah with him asking her out yeah um Uh, well, on the, on the topic of the, the power imbalance, um, it just kind of goes more into what he sought in a woman was someone who'd be beneath him. Um, he wouldn't, he would not have asked her if she had been the sort of personality that would be like, Oh, (laughs) no, thanks. Mm -hmm. Like he, he wanted somebody that would be desperate enough for the, either the attention or the the possible fame, someone who's marginalized to the point that they'd be like, okay, I'll go on a date with this guy. Um, because the society raised him too in, in a way that makes him think that's the acceptable norm for how men and women interact. And um, 
to to start off their relationship with that power imbalance it's all just feeding his ego and it, it was it was obvious he was going to be down a path where he did not see her for who she was right she was just this <clears throat> mythical object this this concept right. to him um and it's not even so much like he had her on a pedestal per se because that he would elevate he her he didn't want her on a pedestal exactly um and there were there were a few things that his his friend said too um that was like trying to pop that bubble of of his perception of her um he had said something's wrong with her she's not yeah. exactly what she seems um and let me see i think uh complicated um and i think he had okay he had mentioned something like he didn't want a complicated girl yeah or something like that mm -hmm. like he didn't he didn't want somebody who had all of like was a full person mm -hmm. right he he wanted somebody that's just this like false flat ideal and that's what he set himself up to see mm -hmm. um and with that power imbalance he's not going to get the full picture of her just just by the very nature of what that is and you know kind of the the, the whole setup like, yeah it was, it was purposeful on his end even if it was kind of shooting himself in the foot ah. <laughs> yeah um also the dude that she kept in the sack yeah that was great the scene where she vomits in the dog bowl to feed to him i gagged like yeah. i even i like again i've watched this movie three times i watched it the first time a long time ago i want to say like 15 years ago or so i still to this day when he starts lapping up which by the way he can't laugh if he doesn't have a tummy i'm just That's, saying so he just inhales it oh my god um <laughs> you gagged <laughs> It, to this day, when I watch audition, the scene of him like lapping up the vomit from the dog bowl like makes me gag. Like yeah. it's because it's so like visceral. Because like you see her hunched over the kitchen sink, like you know what's the word? Hul not hulking it up, but uh, retching. Retching. Well, that's the technical word, but I, there's like a hurling. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what word yeah. I was thinking of. Um, it's just that scene that. That, that bothered me more than the foot being cut off, right? honestly. Like, but, and I guess an interesting aspect to that, though, is compared to his perception of reality, it's a whole, it's the opposite, right? Where um, the guy that's in the, in the bag um, has been, you know, he, he's had all his means of self-sufficiency removed. Um, right. He's, he's being forced to eat the, the vomit of someone that's above them in every sense of the word. Yeah. And um, I think that that is symbolic of how the patriarchal portions of, of Japanese society during this recession treated women. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that that was supposed to be like a, here's what it looks like with the tables turn and also made a little grosser. Um, yeah. And so I, I think that it was really trying to drive home that point with it. Um, I think that's all I had to say on that. Okay. Well, what what do you think makes Audition a feminist movie? I think the, the emphasis on the inequalities between men and women, that, that was a strong emphasis it definitely we, we tries talked to, about. It definitely tries to draw um, yeah, attention to that. And the it, it also shows us, you know, women from the perception of, of men in this, this sort of culture, um, as as this sort of like blank pure white slate and all that and right. anything tarnished or different is unworthy and um it, you like the the movie almost makes it feel like the secretary 
I don't know what what she was. The, the one who tried to make she was close. a lower employee. Lower employee. Like um, she was his boss. Yeah. Or he was. Or her sorry, boss. he was yeah. her boss. I um, knew it was wrong, but I couldn't figure out where I'd gone wrong. <laughs> um, and so you you see these women in kind of degrading roles, mm-hmm. and it emphasizes like how fucked up that is by reversing the roles and making it very very literal um, with the the guy in the bag. Um, and then you also see what it's like when women are able to be themselves and be complex human beings as they are, um, even if that's exemplified in the manner of murder, right? But but you see more life in her when she's when she's you know doing her killings, right? <laughs> yeah. Where she's she's confident, she's assured, she's more talkative. Um, the cadence of her voice is completely different. Mm-hmm. Even her clothing is more like unique, self-chosen, um, and 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 you feel that every action of hers isn't for the male gaze. It's because it's what she wants to do. And in a society that has done these things to her, both on the personal level and societal structure level, um, you see that she's lashing out, mm-hmm. lashing out at at men who lie and perpetuate this. And also lashing out on the society at large, too, in that she's doing this, killing a lot of people. Um, and I, I think that those elements make this a, a feminist horror because it's it's showing those inequalities and, you know, kind of what you know, even even the dark side of like feminine nature mm-hmm. is like when when people are able to actually be themselves for better or for worse. It's a lot different than, than the way Japanese society during this recession had, you know, led people to think. I don't even think even necessarily in Japanese society. I think in just any society. Well, yes. That I am familiar there's, with. There's lessons to be learned by any right. society. Right. And I think that, um, I think what, something else I really love about this film is you can look at it as a feminist film, both on a very, like, um, high level, like, which I'll go into in a second, which is just very, like, sort of girl power murderer <laughs> um you can look at it as just like like a very high, like not is that the right phrase high level like very surface level surface level because yeah. i'm like high level means like deeper yeah, yeah. Sur- surface which level. is confusing but whatever <laughs> very surface level feminism you can look at it like that where you're like yeah like this guy was kind of a jerk this whole time and now she's kicking his butt she's getting it she's getting it but then you can like really go deep into like how was Japanese society at the time? Like, what was going on in the recession? What was happening to women during that time? Um, and I think that, like, I think she also sort of represents this, um, because, you know, this this movie obviously examines the difference between what men want from women and that reality. Yeah. And both the, both the reality, it's a two-pronged thing, because it's like the reality that that's not possible, what men want. But also the reality of, okay, if you really got what you wanted, this is what would happen. Yeah. Because, you know, through the, she hurts him because, you know, she's, quote, so in love with him that she only wants him to love her. Mm -hmm. Right? So it's kind of like she only wants, she lives for nothing else but him. Right? And I think that that's kind of what, men often expect of women is from women to give up their whole lives for men. Mm-hmm. And even when she dies at the end, when she falls down the stairs and like breaks her neck, she starts saying that same thing that she said to him um, when they met for their date, where she's like, 
I'm so excited to spend time with you. Like, you know, I feel so happy, blah, blah, blah. So it's like this really creepy, obsessive, like, love where all she wants is him. So it's kind of like, if you really want somebody that would be willing to give up everything for you, someone that would do that would be fucking nuts. Yeah. Someone that would do that would be crazy and be a, someone that would be obsessed you to that level would be obsessed with you to an unhealthy degree yep. because it's not healthy to love someone like that. Yeah. You know, now that you're talking about it, like I didn't draw this connection before, but um, that this movie kind of reminds me of like, I feel like a theme song to go with this um, okay. would be build a bitch. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I like, like that. Like, like men expect women to be both a virgin and a vixen. And it's yeah. like, which which is it? Do you want someone that is pure and unsexed, or do you want someone that's like a a rock star in the bedroom, like someone who's experienced? Because it's not both. Mm-hmm. It can't be both. It can't be both. And so it, it identifies that sort of like unrealistic expectation, and also in kind of a, a snarky way. Mm-hmm. I, I like that song. So I, I was just song. thinking about that. Yeah, I remember with um uh, Jennifer's body, we decided that the theme song was actually not Jennifer's body. <laughs> That it would be um, Apex Predator. Yes. <clears throat> yeah. Would be Jennifer's body. But, um, well, Chris, you got anything else on your notebook that we haven't talked about? Oh, let me check real quick. I mean, um, okay. Uh, so the, the, the guy in the bag was treated like a dog, mm-hmm. right? But um, earlier in the movie, and I'm wondering if there's any sort of parallels here, um, the, the dog that they have... It, kind of moves a little bit lethargic, tired, stiff joints and mm-hmm. all of that. Um, and they did make a point of, of showing somebody setting down a dog bowl. Yeah. And so I wonder if that was just like a little bit of like a foreshadowing um, or a hint of what was to come, but I, I didn't quite piece together exactly what that would mean. Um, but I wanted to bring that up because I, I kind of thought of that. Hmm. Um, uh, well, let's see here. The son does say early on, he's like, you're looking really tired, dad. Yeah. So I wonder if it was like the dog was representative of like him or like maybe his virality or something where it's like you're getting up there in age. Yeah. It could be. Um he he had the um the main character had asked the son's uh girlfriend um about her father when he could have asked her about her interests and things and it, it, again his focus was just on like ah you're connected to a man. I want to know more about him. Mm-hmm. Um definitely. And then, like, they had asked a lot of, like, invasive questions um, during the interviews. Really and, like, creepy, gross questions. Yeah. And, and, like, some of the it showed some of the women, like, undressing. And it was, like, that that portion of the movie felt, like, really creepy and voyeuristic. I was going to say voyeuristic. That's um, the word I was going to use. And, and they specifically chose to use sort of the recorded camera angle, where mm-hmm. it was, like, somebody was, like, spying on them and watching these girls. Mm-hmm. And, like, it, it, was, it was meant to feel dirty dirty and it did it accomplished that i thought i thought they did a good job of um doing that um there was also some some cinematography that i'm not as familiar with um i think it's just because of uh different cultures doing uh movies a little bit differently but um when he was talking to his his co-worker the like producer um this was after um asami had uh left the seat and it had this camera angle that had it showed the emptiness of the room and these two men just, you know, sitting next to each other at this at this table and then the empty chair for the audition. Mm-hmm. 
and um, it it felt almost like there was a ghost in the room. That's the only okay. way I can I can describe That's what interesting. that what that camera angle felt like. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so they were still talking about you know the women while they weren't in the room, and so in a way it it also just felt really just. Maybe it's kind of representative of like men talking about women, but literally not giving them a seat at the table. Yeah, like deciding I see that deciding things for them with them with them not even present. Yeah, I, I think that that's actually a, a pretty good um, idea on that. Um, but it, it's another thing that I'd, I'd want to think about a little bit more. Um, let me see. There are a couple of other camera angles. I remember you pointing out, like uh, the scene where she's looking at the telephone. The camera angle is canted, which is always sort of the shift either sometimes it's a shift between realities or the shift from like sanity to insanity in movies yeah. um and something else i had written down was that we don't ever really see a real close-up of asami's face until the very end of the movie well we do see the very close-up of her mouth smiling the creepy yes, scene the and during the uh the, the phone phone scene yes. yeah but like it's very like very tight close-up just on her mouth but we don't ever see her face clear and like close up really until the very end when she's her true self yeah and it's like we're seeing her for the first time yeah her real face yeah um let me see uh there, there was also that that sort of like feeding into the male like gaze right where it seemed like there, there was like his housekeeper was kind of interested in him too um, a little, yeah. And she seemed kind of playful, but like... Yeah, yeah, but it, it, it kind of made it feel normalized, but also a little weird. Yeah. Like, she had seemed like like she just came in, did her job, was cordial, and left. And then there was like a, a single scene where she was like kind of flirtatious. And it's like, I think just to kind of get, get you thinking like, this is what men look for. This is what... What, so, which scene was she, was she flirtatious and I'm trying to remember. I can't. Uh, it's a little hard for me to pinpoint. I just I wrote it down and I, I can remember the visuals of it just a little bit. Wasn't it something about when she was... I think I know what scene you're talking about because I remember thinking of leaning over and saying to you like... Because she, she talked about in the beginning of that conversation something about her own husband. Yeah. And yeah. I was like, why is she kind of... Oh, she, she, was, she was complimenting him and disparaging her husband because he wasn't a high performer like, like he was. Right. So kind of stroking his ego yeah okay yeah. um so she filleted him with words um <laughs> <laughs> let's see um i i was looking just i was trying to think if there was anything worth noting about the name of the restaurant she said she worked at the, the stone fish um but I, I didn't really get any further than that well at the beginning of the movie he's fishing remember with his son and he said he makes i don't remember what he says exactly but it's some comment about that he's catch a, the big ones yeah, that he's a, a good fisherman, that he can catch the big ones. And then he immediately has trouble with one. Yeah. yeah so I wonder true. if stonefish means like a fish that would be impossible to catch. Yeah, a fish made like entirely of stone. Would be, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Could see that. Um, let's see. That, that, again, that, that, that's the thing I like about this movie is that like you, you can get really deep and pick this movie apart. Like the names of things, like mm-hmm. everything. Um, something else I noted is when they were on their little vacation getaway honeymoon type thing. Right. Um, he was like recommending activities they could do, and but she just turns out the light and is kind of quiet and just undresses and they have sex. And I, it's that, very weird and clinical the way she yeah, does it. Yeah. yeah. What it felt like was I'm going to act the part now, the part that you want. You don't want me here to hang out and like do activities. You're just here to fuck me. Yeah. And like she, her her facial expressions feel very dead. 
Yeah. Like, she feels very dead inside during that. Um, but what's unusual is that, like, she sort of also subverts his expectation because she... For- this is something I just thought of. She forces him to look at her body before he makes love to her. Yeah. And by forcing him to look at her, he has to see the literal scars that she has from her childhood. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like, if you're going to take on fucking me, you have to, like, expect... You have to, like, um, accept responsibility or whatever of, like, th- um, the damage that's been done to me, you know? And she she did also make the, the statement, like, love no one else but me. Right, yeah. And he, he agreed to it, and and the, she very much had a stand by your word or you don't get to stand at all. Right. Um, so I, I think another thing that was kind of interesting is um, talking about the scar... That was a very particular sort of shape, mm-hmm. almost like like a V, mm-hmm. um, and it kind of reminded me a, a, like a, a hint of the Scarlet Letter in ah. a way, because a V is just sort of a upside down A, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so I, I think it's sort of a playful dichotomy between like virginity Virgin and, and a, adultery. And adultery. Yeah. Um, and so I, I well, think well, that... it was in Japanese though, so right, but right, you think but, that, that but I think that I think maybe the there, there could be a parallel there. Okay, um, yeah. w- Worth exploring anyway. Again, yeah. I didn't get to do a whole lot of research. I just am, am basing this off my notes. Um, but, I mean, he, he the, the piano teacher who was, like, fapping while watching her dance. Weird. Um, literally branded her, like, as his. Yeah. And on her inner well, it's, it's literally, like, it being molested as a child is something that, it's a mark that, obviously in the movie it's physical because it's, like, it's, um... I think more symbolic where it's like, it's something that you carry with you for the rest of your life. Yep. Um, so one of the interesting things that I, I noted that she said is all words are lies, but pain doesn't lie. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, that's kind of also saying like she could talk a very like flowery game about her, about her past if she had wanted to. Um, but her past pain doesn't lie. Yeah. Um, current pain in pins and needles and, and, uh, piano wire doesn't lie either. Um, and there, there was, you know, the, the little voice that she made when she was, like, saying deeper, 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 deeper. like, it, like, oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> like, creepy. the camera angles there were, like, we were being tortured, too. Yeah. And I kind of mentioned that a little bit earlier. But, um, yeah, uh, let's see. Well, one of the things I saw that was a little interesting is um, the piano wire after she made a cut, right, um, how it curled, um, it had the same sort of pattern that the honeymoon bed frame had. Oh, um, right. And so I think it was associating that sort of like active sex with this sort of pain. Um, and let me see. Or it's supposed- Life will be wonderful someday. Is that, was, from- that was something he had said. Ah. But uh, I, I think that's all my notes um, I wanted to address here. But yeah, you gotta gotta give it a rating, right? Unless you have some uh, more comments to add. I think that's all my notes too. Um, this movie. You know, at first I, I didn't like it, or not, not that I didn't like it. I didn't like the, the parts where it sort of is sort of dreamy and like goes in and out of like flashbacks and like weird surrealist. But the more I think about it, the more I'm kind of like, I don't really care if it doesn't make sense. Yeah. <laughs> because it's so like, I, I like movies where you can really dig, because there's like all kinds of arguments online of like what was real and what wasn't. Yeah. And sometimes that's kind of what's cool about a movie is that you don't yeah. know what's real. Yeah, like, you, you don't feel like there's a trustworthy narrator, and I feel like life is like that sometimes, yeah. you know? Like, 
who who do you believe? So you just have to accept what you're you're given, look at it, toss out the lies, and in terms of how, how you can see them, and you know find find your truth in it, right? right? But well, the pain doesn't lie. Yeah. What would you rate this? I I actually think I would give this ten out of thirteen. I, w- um, I was going like to say ten stories. out of thirteen. Okay. But you said you were. What are you going to say now? <laughs> I was I was going to say ten or eleven. I, I'm okay. I'm really trying to reserve going over ten for like a movie that like really really wows me. There are quite a few books on our or not books movies on our list that I have not seen yet. Um, for example, next week's movie is going to be Rosemary's Baby, which I have not seen. I have not either. Um, and uh, so. I'm not saying that this didn't wow me, but, like, again, it was my third time watching it, so, like, a lot of the shock and things were sort of taken away from it for me, but it's still, it is a really, really amazing movie. Like, it's just very, like, you can just really sink your teeth into, like, you know, wondering, like, why that camera angle here, you know, why this. Like, a lot of thought went into it. It felt like a very deliberate movie. Although, kind of a fun fact slash, like, holy shit thing about this the director who made this movie does like three or four movies a year. Like he cranks that he cranks them out. Damn. And this was one of them. Yeah. Oh, right. <laughs> well, I think that's everything for this week. And again, we will be joining you guys next week with Rosemary's baby. But for now, good night, cookie. Good night, cookie.